So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 38 will be our preaching portion. As an intro to that, I'll just say Vicky and I, so I have an external hard drive, which uh, I had in Thailand with me back in the day. Probably enough room for like a trigger to Bob, and I probably barely have anything on it, but uh, we were pulling up old videos of when Caleb was born, and uh, we had almost a Christmas baby. Uh, I think they gave us a due date of the 22nd of December, uh, 2007, but he, he came on January 3rd, so. But we got to experience part of the, yeah, part of what was Christmas, uh, of, of part of what Joseph and Mary experienced for our firstborn baby boy. So, with that introduction, I'll have him re- read for us Luke 2, 22 through 38. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in Christ, the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is, op- and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Redbridge Baptist Church, Lord, and the, the privilege that it is to get to speak to them tonight from your word. Lord, we give this time to you. God, admit my dependence upon you. Ask, God, that you would use this to encourage your people, to encourage um, my own heart, Lord. You, you have already. We, I pray you would do it again. Come now, Lord. Teach us through the power of your Holy Spirit. 
Open our eyes and show us wonderful things from your, your word. Lord, your word is, is better uh, than life. God, we pray that you would show us your precious promises <clears throat> that were given, delivered to the prophets, that these Old Testament saints held on to uh, Anna and Simeon, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Lord, give us uh, faith to hang on to those promises all the more, even as we get to live in their fulfillment, at least their partial fulfillment, as we look back on Christ and his life and his death and his burial and his resurrection. But yet, as we, in a real sense, experience uh, his life, even as your word comes and gives us life. Lord, we give this time to you. We pray that you would use it. We, we give you glory for the results of this message, God, and for, for this time that you would enable both the speaker, both with myself and both the hearer, uh, to be divinely enabled uh, to, to hear from you uh, tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you again. It's, it's a privilege to get to be here tonight with you all. I don't know how many of you are familiar with this voice, this radio program. It's called Unshackled. Anybody? Unshackled. I was going to ask if somebody could hit that note on the, on the organ bit. So some 20 years ago or so, when I was at Midwestern, I was often off in, in, uh, in, in my monk room of sorts, right? It was a dorm room that was designed for two, but actually it was during the time that they allowed only one, and then you shared a bathroom. I, I, I uh, would listen to that sometimes at night and being encouraged greatly by uh, stories of people who had been set free unshackled, right? I think he gets that from, from the story of the demoniac because it says that the shackles on the demoniac were loosened, right? And, uh, you know, time and time again, no matter how many times I'd listened to it, I thought, this guy or this girl, they're never going to get saved. They're never going to understand Christ. And sure enough, at the end, it always ends the same, right? <laughs> but yeah, it's an, it's an amazing uh, transformation of life. A recent one I did listen to was a young man that, that actually died at a young age. Uh, and that was, I thought, man, that's, uh, that's probably the first time that I heard kind of a sadder ending. But he gave uh, a testimony. He, he was in Christ. But anyways, we think about tonight the testimony of the scripture and of Simeon and Anna, even as we reflect a little bit on Zechariah and Elizabeth, um, I want us to be encouraged by testimonies. I thought about our, our own brother Ray and his story from fear of the unknown. If it was an unshackled story, it might be uh, titled from fear of the unknown uh, of, of what comes after death to peace with God. And the setting would maybe be 1975, the tender year of my birth. Is that right, brother? So, uh, you know, uh, from another episode might be called From the Guttermost to the Uttermost. Does anyone know who that would be about? That's right. A new believer in the Navy barracks in 1977, just two years later after our brother. Or, or David. He's only visited here a couple of times, but he's a, a couple of times he's evangelism partner, Korean-American. From living according to my own will to giving God everything. And now David testifies uh, if I don't witness to Jesus, I'm going to explode. He's told us that just uh, at a meal on Thursday as he goes out uh, to do uh, ministry with us. So these stories encourage us uh, because they show the power of God to change lives. 
And that is what I believe Luke is even directing our attention uh, to his scripture uh, today. Now, originally when I preached this, I, I did so as an Advent, ser- uh, an, an Advent sermon of sorts. But as I've reflected recently, I think, of course, we can, we can really uh, consider, you know, Advent year-round. And in fact, there are three Advents, if you will, right? There's the historical Advent, which we read about today. There's the future Advent, and thinking about Advent as the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event, in this case, Christ. There's that historical one that we reflect back on in Luke chapter 2. There's the future one when Christ returns, but yet there's a third, isn't there, that we just spoke of that happened to Ray in 1975 and Pastor Vic in 1977. When Christ comes to us, convicts us of our sin, and proclaims his rule and his reign over our own hearts. So that third one would be uh, one that I hope, and I hold out to you even now, that Christ would come. No matter how long you've maybe walked with him, or if tonight is your first steps with him, that he would come and speak to you uh, during this time. So we look to the Gospel of Luke, a gospel written by a Gentile, mostly to Gentiles, and what is the purpose for which Luke writes? Well, I'll read that to you. It says Luke, Luke says in the opening chapters of his gospel, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, that accomplished can also be fulfilled. Fulfillment, right? Among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theopolis, that you might have certainty concerning of the things you have been taught. So Luke writes really to show that Christ is that fulfillment, that Christ is the fulfillment of the story written to the Jews and really the love letter written to the nations. He shows him to be the sinless son of man, son of God, who's come to seek and save the lost. Both Jews and Gentiles alike are brought into this covenant since Jesus is the promised Messiah as prophesied in the Old Testament. He writes to show that Israel's rejection of Jesus and the entrance of the Gentiles into the kingdom are in accord with the divine plan of God. So in our passage today, it is apparent that Luke really writes to show that the Christian faith, although considered a newcomer to many in, in our historical setting, in Luke chapter 2, is really the outflow of the Jewish faith. And those early followers were law-abiding, devout Jews and Gentiles who sought no rebellion against the powers of Rome. Part of the indication that he does that is he leaves out the flight of Joseph and Mary, uh, or he, he leaves out yeah their flight into Egypt and also the killing of the babies in Jerusalem. Uh, so our text today, in t- chapter two, twenty-two through thirty-eight, falls under the birth stories in these first two chapters, and specifically is the second narrative of uh, the birth of Christ detailed in chapter two. It really comprises much of what we know about Jesus's early years. So in our passage today, Jesus would have been about 40 days old as Joseph and Mary are presenting themselves for purification after childbirth. And in order uh, for their child Jesus to be redeemed by the offering of a lamb or two turtle doves. 
So why should we listen? Why should you listen today to this message? Well, the purpose of this evening's message is really to encourage you to set your heart upon Christ, to cultivate even a deeper longing and yearning for consolation and redemption that can only be met in Jesus. Jesus is really the only hope for the fulfillment of the longings of our soul or any human soul. He's the only source of true consolation for past hurts and redemption from future enemies, struggles with sin, temptations, or spiritual battles that assail our souls. Only in Jesus do we find true joy. Amen? Why should you listen today? So we're asking ourselves the question, really, how can we, how can we prepare ourselves for this new year, 2023, to recognize and receive Jesus for who he really is? We, pair, we really we prepare our hearts by allowing the Holy Spirit to stir up a holy and insatiable longing for the consolation and redemption that cannot be met, cannot be answered in any other source other than Christ. Indeed, our longings are a clue, right, to our very existence. And they speak to the relationship of the um, tension, if you will, between the already, not yet, the anticipation and the fulfillment of our faith. I love reading uh, Jim Elliott's journals uh, years ago, and I came across this uh, phrase as he is courting uh, Betty Howard during that five-year courtship. He says to her at one point, let not our longing slay the appetite of our living. Often reflected on that. Especially in my single days. The danger here that Jim is warning of is getting so caught up in longing for their future together, should God bring them together, because they didn't know at that point, that they cease to live day by day for the glory of God in what must have seemed like an endless string of mundane, mundane days. But I would suggest that both Jim and Elizabeth, they understood the place of longing as they matured in their faith in Christ. Longing is key, right? And C.S. Lewis chimes in with this. This is from Till We Have Faces in the Person of Sight. He says this, It was when I was happiness that I was happiest that I longed most. The sweetest thing in all my life has been the longing to reach the mountain, to find the place where all the beauty came from. For Lewis, this is coming from a surprise by, by joy, Sinzuk, that German word, right, that sense of deep, inconsolable longing, yearning, or the feeling of intensely missing something that we don't even know what it is, it is also related to his experiences of joy. He says, joy is distinct, not only from pleasure in general, but even from aesthetic pleasure. It must have the stab, the pang, the inconsolable longing. It was Lewis that God used some 25 years ago to show me that my own youthful desires were not too strong but too weak for his kingdom. It was in a sermon that I heard in Austin, Texas in 1997 when John Piper was quoting from C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory. 
it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So for me, this teaching really brought about that Copernican revolution, right? We talk about that revolution that Copernicus suggested that it wasn't a geocentric universe. The earth is not in the center, but the sun is, and the earth revolves around it. Imagine what a struggle that must have been when you look up and you see the sun obviously revolving around you day after day after day, rising and setting, and we still use that terminology to this day, right? Phenomenal language, but the comparting and revolution that happens when you suddenly realize you are not at the center of the universe. God is. And I had been in Christ for a while trying to stumble my way through Christianity when I suddenly realized that God promises to satisfy my deepest longings and that bad things will happen if I look outside of him for, those, for that satisfaction, right? If you've been in Christ any time at all, you've probably learned that he is that fountain of water, right? That J- Jeremiah 2 talks about. That we are satisfied in, uh, instead of turning and drinking from broken cisterns which hold no water. Well, that might have been a lot for this evening. Maybe you didn't sign up for that, but I could have just told you, be like Simeon and Anna. Just wait. But the younger we are, the more difficult that is probably. Some of in the congregation that are older, waiting might not be so bad, especially as we think about what we have to look forward to. I think the definition of midlife crisis, if I can define my own, is realizing that you have more years behind you than you do in front of you, right? So wait, that can be a harder lesson. When I told my son Caleb that I was going to say that, he said, no, don't tell us to wait, dad, because that's going to be a hard message. But really, that's Waiting is really the second step because waiting comes after we cultivate a longing or realize that this deep longing is insatiable and can only be met in Christ. Then we wait upon him, right? That's what the Old Testament saints have to tell us of that we read about, Simeon and Anna, right? That they have become our teachers. They were faithful to wait, right, because they were convinced that the deepest, most ins- their deepest, most insatiable longings could only be satisfied in the Lord's Christ, the constellation of, of Israel and the redemption of Jerusalem, right? Why else would we wait in line anywhere? Chick-fil-A, right? We wait in line at Chick-fil-A because they have the best chicken sandwich around. We have that longing to be satisfied with that chicken sandwich, so we wait in line. We tolerate waiting at Chick-fil-A. So if we're going to wait this evening, if we're going to have a year of waiting upon the Lord, it's going to be because we know that only he can satisfy those longings and that we need to really cultivate those longings. Our longings won't be satisfied in man-made, works-based, do-it-yourself religion or becoming the real you. What the world promises today. Your deepest longings cannot be satisfied by friendship, by marriage, by children, or a successful career, even by good works done in Jesus' name. No, no, you cannot be satisfied apart from having a saving faith in Christ Jesus as the answer to all 
your deepest desires and longings of your heart. So we look to the examples, the testimony even, of Simeon and Anna. How should we wait for the consolation of Israel and the redemption of Jerusalem this year? Well, let us wait in faith. Christ is our consolation, and he is our redemption. So why should we wait? We'll look at some of these scriptures which beckon us of good things to come for those who wait. The, uh, the anticipation of the fulfillment. Hebrews 9, 27 through 28 says this, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Or again, back, if we pull back in Luke, I love the parable of the persistent widow. Are you familiar? In Luke chapter 18, this woman who is begging an unrighteous judge who neither fears God nor respects man, she's begging him, give me justice against my adversary. And she keeps coming and she keeps coming, right? Finally, this is what the unrighteous judge says. This is what Jesus says. Hear what the unrighteous judge says. Will not, so he, he finally says, I don't have this in my, my notes, so I realize, but he finally says what? He finally says, I'll give her what she seeks because she's going to wear me down with her constant coming. This is the application. Jesus says, <clears throat> will not God give justice to his elect? who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, I think this is meant to haunt us some, right? Will he find faith, right? Nevertheless, will the, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So the question is for us this evening, for Redbridge Baptist Church, when Christ comes, will he find faith? Will he find us faithful? Will he find us crying out to him with deep, insatiable longings? Or will he find us satisfied with stuff? With material stuff, intellectual stuff, flesh-pleasing stuff. If by God's grace, preaching might prevail tonight and every Sunday morning, then he will indeed find us faithful. Here at Redbridge Central Baptist Church in Kansas City, he will find us faithful. So where is your consolation this evening? Where is your expectation and hope? If we take our cues from the faith of Simeon, Joseph, Mary, and Anna, let us take in the beauty of this story, this prophecy and this teaching, and see that Jesus brings just a few, uh, just to make a few observations from this text tonight, he brings contrast and continuity culmination and fulfillment, and finally, he is our consolation and our redemption. So where do we find contrast and continuity? Well, the contrast comes in this passage really between the old and the new. We're we're seeing the new contrasted with the old in the lives of these old saints, old in the sense that they are elderly. Both uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth are elderly, and Simeon and Anna representing really the old covenant promises. Yet that error is passing away along with these aged saints, 
right? Luke has gone out of his way to emphasize their piety, their faith, of the, and their advanced age of these godly saints. Look, for me, look with me how Luke describes Elizabeth and Zechariah in chapter 1, verse 6. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Likewise, Simeon and Anna are described as righteous and devout, said specifically of Simeon, with Anna continuing in worship through fasting and praying in our scripture today, chapter 2, night and day in the temple, both cherishing the hope found in the Old Testament prophets, with Simeon waiting for the consolation of Israel, chapter 2, verse 25, and Anna said to be among those who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Yet, while there is contrast here, there is continuity, right? In the fact that these Old Testament saints, given to us as model Old Testament saints, are waiting, right? The first to receive Christ, first to receive the new covenant promises. And they were looking with eagerness toward the hope of the prophets. So Luke really captures this contrast uniquely in a verse that is found only in his gospel, Luke 16, 16, we read this. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. So what is this contrast that I'm talking about summarized? Really, it is up to the ministry of John the Baptist's coming, the word and the rule of God had been proclaimed through the law and the prophets, through Moses. Right? Through Isaiah, especially, we see in our passage. But now, with the coming of the Messiah, Jesus the King, and John his forerunner, the word and the rule of God is proclaimed and encountered in a new way. Jesus is the word. He is the king, and he's bringing his kingdom. Those believing in, in Jesus, many, uh, many from believing in the long-awaited Messiah, right? We look these saints, they're justified by faith in what was promised to come. They experience this monumental shift, right? This transitional period that no longer do we now, we can include ourselves in this, do we live in the area, the era of the law and the prophets awaiting the consolation and, and the fulfillment, right? Or the consolation. We live in the era of fulfillment. When the kingdom of God is proclaimed in the here and now, it's present powerful and albeit not yet consummated so we too look forward to that consummation when we see him face to face when he comes back to us so if we summarize contrast and continuity we would say that Luke wants us to see that yes the era of the law and the prophets is coming to a close as seen in the lives of these excellent representatives of that era depicted as aged and at the point of death. Yet Luke would have us see continuity here, right? Namely, that there's not a conflict between the law and the prophets and the new age of the kingdom of the Messiah. Luke does this by showing that the most devout Jewish believers are welcoming the coming kingdom by being among the very first to welcome the king. They rejoice to see the consolation and the redemption. They, these saints rejoice that the new covenant has come. Jeremiah 31, 31. Our contrast comparisons in Luke's gospel would, would 
also be seen in later chapters between the sinners and the tax collectors, the religious leaders and the Pharisees, the sick, or the well, or the unrighteous and the righteous, the angels and the shepherds that contrast between the heavens and the earth. Um, Also, Zachariah's visit with the angel Gabriel versus Mary's. Do you notice that the angels said the same thing to both aged Zachariah and young Mary? Namely, this is what God's going to do. And when Zachariah says, how can this be? I'm an old man. He says, you're not going to speak until it happens. But when Mary says, how can this be? I'm a virgin. He actually sits down and explains it to her. Ever thought, why the difference? Well, maybe it's a clue that the old age is passing away, but the new covenant has come. So the angel shows great patience with Mary and her question, how can this be? Because I'm a virgin. Well, we see um, this really melded together well, I think, as far as the law and the work of the Spirit in the life of Simeon in verse, beginning in verse 25. We were introduced to this man named Simeon, right, who's in Jerusalem, and he's righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. But notice, it had been revealed to him by who? The Holy Spirit, that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit, so you see, you kind of begin to see the contrast between the law and the spirit, but yet they're in harmony together. He came in the spirit into the temple when the parents brought in Christ to do for him according to the custom of the law. So you have the work of the spirit and the work of the law being brought together in this beautiful moment with verse 27 as the linchpin. Look with me at verse 27, the pivotal verse. The harmony between the work of the law and the, or the ministry of the law and the work and the ministry of the spirit. So here we have this verse where, let's just read it together. It says, and he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God. So if you're counting, verse 27 brings us to this amazing, I think, intentional point of the use of the law four times and the use of the word spirit four times, if you count spirit being included in the consolation of Israel, which is really the nickname for the Holy Spirit. And so it's in this verse that the spirit and the law are working together to bring about this moment where this aged saint, according to the promises of God given to him, takes up the Christ child into his arms and says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. So Jesus in this passage really is the culmination of the fulfillment of the law. Think about this. Joseph and Mary bringing uh, their, their son, but also bringing their sacrifice, right, for her cleansing after childbirth. And yet Christ is the one who's paid for it. Usually a lamb is offered, and yet he is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This word, redeemed, it was mentioned one time before in in Zechariah's prophecy, but it takes us back, really, to thinking about 
the Exodus, right? That's where that practice came from, Exodus 13, where the oldest is redeemed. So Mary is offering uh, for her cleansing, but also they're redeeming the firstborn according to what began as a practice back in, uh, back in Exodus 13. So the, the second thing I want to see here is that just as Jesus came to, uh, to be that fulfillment, just as Jesus uh, came, and really we see culmination and fulfillment in Luke's words, we see that Christ did not come to abolish but to fulfill I borrow this from Matthew's gospel, where Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus came to fill that cup full. If you think about God's requirements of his law, that cup that only Jesus could fill, only God could really fill, right? That is what Christ has come to do. Not to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fill them full, literally. You see this at his baptism. He comes to John to be baptized. John would prevent him, saying, I'm not worthy to baptize you. But Jesus answers and says, let it be so now, for it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And only then did John consent. Right? Showing that he understood something of the concept of the righteous requirements of God's law in that day. So we have culmination and fulfillment, a continuity as Jesus fulfilled the law, the righteous requirements of God's commandments. Then, we've, in our final teaching point tonight, right, we really see that Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah 49, 13 through 14, which you can bet these saints were reading and holding on to this scripture. It says, sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Or Isaiah 40, 1 through 2 says, comfort, literally means console. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for her sins. Or yet again, in Isaiah 49, 14, we see the need for consolation. It says, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My God is, has forgotten me. So why consolation? Why redemption? Why is it that these t- terms, these themes are so important to Luke's gospel? It is because the context of what's going on here in, back in Isaiah in seeing this fulfilled in Christ, is war, is loneliness, is the fear of man, is ultimately been being given over to their enemies for, because of judgment. And yet Christ has come, as promised, to console all their, their longings for healing, for past losses and miseries. And notice while we began with Simeon waiting for the consolation of Israel, When he addresses Joseph and Mary, he says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. This is almost a direct quote from Isaiah. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory for your people, Israel. How many this morning or how many tonight are in need of consolation? How many of us are in need to hope again in the redemption that God has offered to us in Jesus. Isaiah 52.9 really brings these two themes together. Almost a direct quote, right? Where he says this, really directing our uh, 
attention that just as uh, Simeon is the hope and Anna is the fulfillment of Isaiah 52, 9, which says, break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. So in the coming of Christ, this prophecy is fulfilled as the Lord has consoled his people, which is what Simeon was looking for. And he has redeemed Jerusalem, which is what Anna was looking for. And I love verse 10 of Isaiah 52. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of God. That was a promise given many, many years before Christ came. And yet here is the salvation of God raised up in Simeon's arms, prepared in the presence of all the peoples. Here is the light for revelation to the Gentiles who walk in darkness and for glory to God's people, Israel, who had waited for the fulfillment of the promises, who were the people through which he brought the Messiah. So is there a difference between consolation and redemption? Um, I read John Piper says this. Appreciate Piper's clarity. He says, Consolation speaks to those longings for healing and restoration from all the past losses and miseries of life. In Isaiah, remember the people had experienced judgment and exile with all its guilt and fear and loneliness and death. Consolation is when God comes to heal and restore and revive all that has been thrown away or lost. Redemption speaks to our need to be delivered from powers that still hold us in bondage. Redemption is a work of power to save us from enemies that still threaten us. So in so many ways, consolation deals with those past hurts, brokenness, consequences of our sin. Redemption speaks to future deliverance. But in Christ, both are now. Where we are comforted today and we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redemption, I would add, includes deliverance from sin, from Satan, from the kingdom of darkness and the spiritual forces of evil that assail us, right? That threaten to undo us. What are we seeing in a mighty fortress is our God. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure for lo, His doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That's the promise, right? That we have this morning of consolation and redemption. That God's word is more powerful than any of our enemies. It's more powerful than our sin. It's more powerful than our brokenness and our past hurts. More powerful than our doubts and our fears. And he alone, through his word, satisfies our deepest longings. So we mentioned the three comings of Christ in the intro. In conclusion, I will remind you that Christ comes. He has come in history, in in time, and in space. So important for our generation to know when we doubt everything, right? But it was a historical coming that was promised, and it happened. He will come again. He's promised us that he will come back to receive those who are waiting upon him in faith. There's another coming so important for us tonight and every day of our lives that Christ comes to us in his word when we get alone with him. He comes to us to convict us, right, of our sin and our need for righteousness. He comes to us to console us, and he is our redemption. 
So that is my prayer for you today, that according to Hosea 6, 1 through 3, love these words, the prophet told to take, right, a woman of harlotry as his wife, so that we might see the picture of our own spiritual brokenness and idolatry, according to our idolatry, against God. In Hosea 6, 1 through 3, we read this. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Verse 3, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. That's the promise of Hosea, fulfilled in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. Is there a longing in your heart today for something that the world cannot satisfy? As a gift to you this year, I believe that God is preparing for you to see Christ as your only consolation and redemption, as your only hope, and to receive him as he really is. So how can we be prepared to recognize and receive Christ this year as our consolation and redemption, as the, the, the comfort and the reconciliation with God that he really is? First, we let go of the illusion that anything else can satisfy our deepest longings. For forgiveness, for belonging, desires to be known, to be loved, to be accepted, all part of the human experience, right? All part of what makes us human. We're made to depend on him. So specifically, let go of the fear of man, including the praise of man. Two, let go of more stuff. The love of money, become more disillusioned with the stuff of earth, right? That we can't hope, of course, to take with us. Three, cultivate a deep desire and longing for the consolation or redemption that only Jesus can give. For the comfort and deliverance that come from him alone, which leads to the next one, to meditate on the word of God. Allow it to lead you to worship Jesus as your consolation, as your redemption. You guys, you guys may or may not be familiar with the story of Martin Luther, but I think it's a perfect illustration of what we're talking about here. Think about this. Luther, of course, a Catholic monk, but increasingly uncomfortable, right, as he studied the book of Romans and tried to teach it, right? It says, this is Luther's words, I greatly long to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans, and nothing stood in the way but that one expression, the justice of God, because I took it to mean that justice whereby God is just and deals justly in punishing the unjust. My situation was that although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner troubled in conscience, and I had no confidence that my merit would assuage him. Therefore, I did not love a just and angry God, but rather hated and murmured against him. Yet I clung to the dear Paul and had a great yearning to know what he meant. You see his longings and his yearnings. He says, Night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement that the just will live by faith. Then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness by which, through grace and sheer mercy, God justifies us, proclaims us righteous, through faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. 
think this is a great illustration of what we mean by yearnings and and longings that can only be satisfied in him. Martin Luther did. He lived an impeccable life, right? A life that was devoted to satisfying God and God alone, but by his works. And it was that breakthrough through reading Galatians especially, that he realized the just shall live by faith, that the righteousness that God requires, he gives as a free gift to you through faith in Jesus Christ. It's the same reason he's going to give it to a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Hindu, your lost neighbor. It's because they call upon the name of Jesus Christ and they recognize him as their righteousness. That's what happened to Bunyan. John Bunyan struggled long we heard a, a testimony of John Bunyan's life in here or a seminar on it a few years back at a missions conference. John Bunyan struggled so long over his own salvation, right? And then came, as he was passing through the field, have his testimony here. It's long, but this is the short part. This word fell upon his soul. Thy righteousness is in heaven. The eyes of his soul at that time, right, that same time, that Jesus Christ was at God's right hand, And there, he said, is my righteousness. I saw, moreover, that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better or my bad frame that made my righteousness worse. For my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? That is our hope this morning that we hold out to one another and remind each other of. I don't ever sing this song, but I will close with the original words by Bach of Jesu, Joy of Man's Desiring. This is what the original said. Well from me that I have Jesus, oh how tightly I hold him, that he might refresh my heart when I'm sick and sad. Jesus I have who loves me and gives himself to me, ah, therefore I will not leave Jesus even if I feel my heart is breaking. Jesus remains my joy, my heart's comfort and essence. Jesus fends off all suffering. He's my life's strength, my eyes' desire and sun, my soul's treasure and pleasure. Therefore, I will not leave Jesus out of heart and face. Let me, let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the saints of Redbridge Baptist Church. God, thank you for these promises made more all the more sure because of what happens in Acts chapter 2 with the pouring out of your Holy Spirit, really the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment that your plan all along and the story, unfolding story of redemption was that you would be with us and in us, living among us, a redeemed and therefore comforted and consoled people. Lord, we thank you for Christ who is our righteousness. We thank you that he is the fulfillment of the law. Lord, that... The story of the scriptures is one meta narrative, one unfolding story of redemption from Genesis to Revelation that tells of your great love for us, but your holiness as well it holds up your holiness as well as your desire to be with us by ultimately making us righteous through faith in Christ and allowing us to wear the righteousness of Christ as a robe being given that righteousness through a free gift as we repent. Lord, turn away from our sins and trust in you.
or this old, old story grows sweeter to us each day as we get older. It's our only hope. Jesus, you are our only hope. Help us to cultivate desires and longings, recognizing that you and you alone will satisfy those. In 2023, Lord, may we grow all the more confident that we are a people in need of your grace, of your mercy, of your righteousness. Lord, that you would lead us from these seats out to proclaim the hope and the help and the healing that we're receiving tonight to a lost world that needs it so desperately. Lord, use us, Father, to point the way to to Jesus, the one who's come to seek and save the lost. God, may... um, yeah, may there be fruit from tonight's message that you and you alone, Lord, would be worthy of to see uh, professions of faith, to see people turn and trust Christ for the first time, but also to see the strength, uh, the, the faith of the saints strengthened tonight, Lord, by your holy word. Uh, God, by your Holy Spirit, through your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.